0: This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate an early Father's Day, I'm taking a look at the best dads in comics. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is celebrating Father's Day. Uh, As of this recording, Father's Day is this upcoming weekend, and I figured now would be a good time to take a look at the best dads in comics. And I've been thinking about it. This has been a tough list to put together. Uh, Maybe next year I'll do the worst dads in comics. That might be easier. Who knows? But I'm very excited to get into the nitty-gritty when it comes to fatherhood in the realm of comic books we also have of course this week's comics countdown with some books i am very excited to talk about but before we get into all of that let's go ahead and check in with this week's news Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Gonna kick things off with miscellaneous news. Tons of E3 2021 news that I want to talk about. Um, A lot of things were announced. I'm not going to talk about everything beat by beat, but I will talk about some stuff that I thought was interesting and that I really enjoyed. Uh, First off, a quick shout out to my boy Cole from the Critical Rants YouTube channel. Uh, He got what he's been asking for elden ring finally got an update for what is going on with that game we've been waiting for news on it so cole i hope you enjoyed the news and i hope you're very happy elden boy uh moving on to some very interesting stuff that i uh that I have some mixed feelings on. First off, uh, we found out from Square Enix that the first six Final Fantasies are going to be uh, pixel remastered, or I don't... They used some weird word for it, but they're essentially getting remasters for Steam and Mobile. This includes Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, a.k.a. the best Final Fantasy game of all time. Um, I, you know... It's fine. I kind of wish that we would at least get a, you know, a proper remaster for Final Fantasy VI. I could I know there are people who are really big fans of the first 5 games, but I guess I I can't care less about those games. So Final Fantasy VI deserves a full remaster if not a total remake. But We'll just have to wait and see. I think it's cool. There's no release date stated for it, so we don't know when this is going to come out, but I'm going to assume that it's this year. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, they also announced the, or really showed off, the trailer for the War for Wakanda DLC coming to Marvel's Avengers in the summer. I think it's supposed to be in July, but it might be pushed back to August. Who knows? Trailer looks good. Um they used one of my uh, one of my favorite new songs that I discovered thanks to Invincible, um, which is uh, "Make Way for the King." Big big fan of that song, and the trailer was super cool. It showed off this version of Wakanda, which looks great. The Black Panther suit looks awesome, and Claw is your main enemy. Both it looks like in human form as well as Sonic whatever gigantic form as well. So looks fun. It's promising a lot of stuff, including. Um, before that comes out. Uh, Wasteland Patrols, lots of new costumes, both comics and MCU-inspired. We'll just have to see. I played the first DLC, the Kate Bishop DLC, and actually really enjoyed it. And I've been kind of waiting to dip my toe back in to play the Clint Barton DLC. Um, just not having enough time in the day to do stuff especially with Mass Effect coming out and the new Final Fantasy 7 Intergrade coming out there's just there's there's a lot on my plate guys but I'm hoping that War for Wakanda is good. I'm hoping that it's a big expansion and not just like a couple-hour experience, like the Kate Bishop one was. It was fun, and I like playing as Kate Bishop, but like it was, I need more than that. I need just a bit more. But it looked good. Uh, the big announcement from Square Enix, as well as Iidos uh, Montreal, was that they are. Releasing a brand new Guardians of the Galaxy game, which I thought looked great. I might be in the minority, and I found out very quickly over the weekend as I was perusing uh, that apparently I'm in the minority when I say that I like the look of the game. I think it looks great. I'm really excited to play it. And it's, I mean, it looks like you're your traditional, your classic Guardians of the Galaxy fair. Uh, it's a single-player, story-driven experience, which I think is great. No more games-as-a-service bullshit. But I, I think it looks cool, and I think it's a good blend of the comics and MCU Guardians, which, I mean, let's be honest, like for a pretty pretty substantial period uh recently in guardians of the galaxy comics it's been all the it's it's an mcu comic it's basically they have reshaped the guardians to be the mcu guardians which is not a bad thing you know the mcu guardians are awesome but i do like to see more comic booky stuff when it comes to comic books I know it's a it's a crazy idea but that's what I've really liked about what I've seen from the Al Ewing Guardians of the Galaxy comic and honestly watching this trailer and watching the gameplay and everything made me want to dive into that Ewing Guardians of the Galaxy book I kind of dropped off you know Halfway through the Kate's run, but I am getting the itch to go back and read that as well as this Al Ewing run because I am I'm very very interested to see what they do. Uh, Pre order stuff is the classic Guardians looks, which looks great. Uh, I I'm just really excited. It is kind of a bummer that the only playable character is Star Lord and you can't switch between them. But maybe it's because I'm playing Mass Effect right now. I like the idea of being able to like lead your guardians and give them commands in combat so that they can do stuff it feels very much in that same vein and i hope that they can shoot for the stars when it comes to that kind of comparison and will hopefully be much more complimentary of it than we were and have continued to be about that avengers game uh, we also got two big announcements from nintendo first off metroid is getting a brand new game entitled metroid dread and it is returning to its roots it is the first side-scrolling metroid game in over two decades that's crazy um, but on top of that it is a 2d side-scrolling horror game Sign me up, yes, please. I love the idea of that. The gameplay looks great. The graphics look fantastic. I am super hyped for this. And on top of that, they also showed off the first footage for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild 2. Uh, We got some Brief gameplay footage, nothing concrete, nothing substantial, but the developers did reveal that not only will you be continuing to travel around Hyrule, you'll also be going above Hyrule, visiting the skies, which I think isn't intentional. Because they uh, right before they showed this off, they showed off footage from the new Skyward Sword HD, and I don't think that's a coincidence. I think we are going to see some Skyward Sword nonsense in the in the skies above Hyrule. We might see some temples. We might we might ride on a loft wing. Who knows? But I'm I'm very hyped for this. I still haven't played Breath of the Wild One, um, and I need to because I have only heard amazing things about that game. So I'm very excited to check this out. And overall. E3 2021 yes a little underwhelming but they were trying to make video games the most difficult year in recent memory so I am willing to cut them a little bit of slack I'm very excited to see where we go from here and all eyes will now be turned towards the Tokyo Game Show to see what comes out of that but Hopping over to film news, three pieces of film news here, uh, two pieces of Marvel news, one piece of DC news. The one DC news is that we got another teaser from Andy Muschietti, the director of the Flash slash Flashpoint movie. Uh, the first teaser that we got revealing, you know, a little bit of uh, Michael Keaton's new Batsuit with a new symbol and everything, a little bit of blood, very Watchmen-esque. Um, this you know was kind of in the same vein showing off just the symbol of the flash suit which seems to be even more reworked from the original one that we saw and the texture of the suit looks a little overly textured to me but we'll have to see the whole thing in practice anything is going to be better than that garbage suit from the uh justice league film i just i know people really enjoy that suit and i like certain aspects of it but flash should never be in armor It just doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, it looks interesting. If we're going for a more fabric based suit, I am all for it. Hopping over to Marvel News, we got two pieces of very interesting Marvel news. First off, it is being reported that Park Soo-Joon, who uh, you probably remember from Parasite, has been cast in the Marvels in an undisclosed role. No idea who he's playing, though some people are pointing to Hulkling, which would be really cool. Um, They are steadily building out that Young Avengers roster. I am all for it. I'm all for it. But I'm interested to see what he does. He's a good actor. I am all for more Asians in superhero films, so we'll just have to see what his role ends up being. And then we also got a possible leak for the look of the mighty Thor in Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, production has wrapped, and to celebrate, the crew of the film has been given you know, t-shirts and stuff. You know, the classic you know end of production uh gift packages and one of the shirts depicts both thor valkyrie and the mighty thor on it and mighty thor is looking mighty good uh the design is definitely rooted in the comics design though i think it's a it's a little bit overcomplicated for my taste just from the um Just from the breastplate, I think the breastplate in the comics looks much simpler, much cleaner, but this looks like a natural um, progression from the Thor armors. I'm a little sad to see Thor looking like more traditional, like uh, Thor the Dark World Thor, Uh, which, I mean, it's not a terrible thing. I think he looks good in those kind of suits, but after we got the costume from uh, Thor Ragnarok, which is still my favorite Thor costume, uh, um, there's really, there's no getting any better than that. So, but I think it looks great. I think it looks very cool. And I'm excited to see an official look at Jane Foster as the mighty Thor. Hopping over to TV news, three pieces of TV news here. First off, uh, two pieces of Netflix news. Uh, first we got the announcement that Lance Reddick has been cast as Albert Wesker in the Resident Evil Netflix series. This series is, uh, I guess, going to be adapting the first game uh showed off the cast which looks fine uh i'm not you know feeling really he- either here nor there on it i think lance reddick is a wonderful choice he's an incredible actor but i do think that something is lost with the character who i've always seen as incredibly bigoted being um of a different ethnicity but who knows um Again, Lance Riddick is an incredible actor, and I know he's going to bring the amount of talent and charm to this role that he brings to every single thing that he is in, and I'm interested to see his take on Albert Wesker. We also got the news that Castlevania, who just wrapped its uh, fourth season, is getting a spinoff series. It has been announced that the next series will be starring Richter Belmont, the son of Trevor and Sypha, uh, during the French Revolution. which is exciting i am on the very last episode of season four so i'm excited to see how this wraps up the episode episode nine i believe was wild just all over the place I loved it it was super good so I'm always down for more uh, Netflix Castlevania and I can't wait to see what they do with Richter and then finally in TV news we got a trailer for season 2 of Stargirl revealing both Jakeem Thunder, Shade which is going to be the main villain of the series as well as Jade the daughter of Alan Scott we are getting Green Lantern in this show this show is quickly becoming my favorite DC show for many many reasons so i'm excited i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this and we got a release date alongside this trailer the first episode is going to drop on august 10th that's two days before my birthday that's going to be a great watch to uh celebrate my birthday with and finally, we're going to round things out with comics news. Two pieces of DC news and one piece of Marvel news. First off, some very exciting news for fans of Aqualad, specifically Jackson Hyde slash Calderum if you're nasty. Aquaman The Becoming was announced, uh, written by Brandon Thomas with art by... Let's see here. Diego Olor Tegui. Ugh, I'm sorry. Wade Von Graubadger and Adriano Lucas with covers by David Teloski. This is essentially going to be connecting current Calderon. I keep calling him Calder. Uh, This is going to be connecting current Jackson Hyde into what I'm assuming is the uh, future state. One of the best parts of Future State, which was uh, Aquaman, surprisingly. I was not prepared for how good that one was going to be. But there's no, like, story announcement or anything, but spinning out of Future State, spinning out of DC Pride. He is going to be having a, I believe it's a six-issue miniseries. Yes, six issues. uh, And we've got issue one coming out this this September. So keep a lookout for that. Very excited about this. Again, if you haven't, gone back and read the Aquaman Future State, do yourself a favor, go do that. We also got the announcement for Deathstroke Incorporated, written by Joshua Williamson with art by Howard Porter, reuniting from their Flash run. I mean... Deathstroke's cool. I've never been the biggest Deathstroke fan, but the premise for this sounds cool. Uh, The synopsis reads, after suffering too many losses, Slade Wilson decides it's time for a change. When he's enlisted to work with an ages-old secret organization called Trust, who wants to take down the heavy-hitter villains, he's all in. So, I'm assuming some bad stuff's going to happen that's going to put him on this path, but it's going to be interesting seeing him work with others. I think that was one of the things that they've done very well with him in the Rebirth run so far, or I guess in the past Rebirth run since the Rebirth age is over, uh, I really enjoyed where they went with the Deathstroke series and Rebirth. I dropped off after a while but I really liked what I was reading and I'm excited to see how they evolve his character through this. And then finally over on the Marvel side of things we got the announcement for Darkhold Alpha number one. That's right, after returning to mainstream attention in the WandaVision Series The Dark Hold is Back. And it looks like it's putting its two most dangerous wielders in the center of the story with Doctor Doom and the Scarlet Witch. The synopsis reads as thus, I'm reading from the Marvel.com article. It says, For hundreds of years, scholars and heroes alike have searched for the Darkhold, aka The Book of the Damned, written by the Elder God Chithon. Now, Doctor Doom, one of the greatest sorcerers in the multiverse, has found it. And just Thawne has found him. To save them all, the Scarlet Witch recruits a group of the world's greatest heroes, Iron Man, Wasp, Janet Van Dyne, Black Bolt, Jade, and Spider-Man. Jade, Blade, and Spider-Man. But in order to enter Jathan's dimension and fight him, the heroes must read from the legendary Darkhold, which drives them utterly insane. Together, they'll have to confront their inner darkness to overcome the most powerful mystical threats the Marvel Universe has ever faced. So that sounds pretty frickin' cool. Mm -hmm. The covers here, dug by Greg Smallwood, uh, look awesome, uh, depicting on the main... Uh, cover the a cover dr doom while the b cover has wanda looking into the dark hold and behind them the screaming and very clearly in pain faces of characters like Iron Man, Black Bolt, Blade. We've got Doctor Strange. It looks like Ares, Mephisto. There's some bad stuff coming on the way for all of the uh, Marvel's magic users. And seeing as how this comes out right before the death of Doctor Strange, expect this to have some kind of tie into that. So big news, very excited about that. But that is going to do it for this week's news and speak of comic books, we're going to roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, of this week's episodes as I count down the best dads in comics. So, fatherhood is a complicated subject. A lot goes into it, especially when it comes to its portrayal in fictional media. And I don't think there is a more complicated history with fatherhood than in comic books. Like, comic books, like, really run the gamut throughout its history on great fathers and terrible fathers and good fathers and kind of so-so fathers. And to celebrate the upcoming Father's Day, I wanted to sit down and take a look at who truly are the best fathers in comics now before we get into the list i will say this is just from my perspective this is a subjective list this is my personal list if you disagree awesome please let me know feel free to email me follow follow us on the social medias at geeksplain pod let me know i would love to have that conversation with you because i feel like there are going to be a lot of opinions when it comes to this when it comes to the idea of fatherhood in comics, they're usually, you know, the role models. They're the people who help drive the story forward from the perspective of, you know, whoever they influence. And these fathers are the ones who I think best demonstrate what fatherhood should be when it comes to comic books. So... With all of that out of the way, with the preamble gone, let's just dive into it. The first father I have on the list is Scott Summers. No, 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 stop. Nope. Get your hand off there. Don't click away. I mean it. Scott Summers is one of the best fathers in comic books. Let me break this down for you. Now, Scott Summers is one of the most dedicated fathers in all of comics. There are moments, there are moments, and there will be moments with almost all of the fathers in this list where he might make an emotional decision that doesn't always positively impact his children. But I do think genuinely that Scott Summers is one of the best fathers in all of comics. His children include... Nathan Summers, Rachel Summers, and Nate Gray from an alternate timeline. Uh, he's got other, uh, other children, some from Emma Frost, uh, some from other women all over the place, you know, in exiles and alternate universes. But these are kind of the ones that I want to focus on, uh, specifically Nathan and Rachel. Because they are, especially in modern times, in modern comics, they are the ones that are with him the most. You know, most of Nate Gray's uh, most important stories, especially in the last, like, five or ten years, have been while, you know, Scott was dead. So uh, Scott is one of those dads who is very uh he's he's not always the most stable he's probably one of if not the most flawed on the list as someone who tries really hard to make the right decision but more or less will It's 50-50 on whether it's a good decision or not, which is unfortunate because you can tell that he really does care about his kids. He really does care about his relationships. He's one of the most dedicated and most loyal uh, and relationship-driven characters in comics, whether you're talking about Marvel or DC. And Scott will without a moment's hesitation, throw himself in front of any of his kids and other people's kids to try and save them. Uh, Scott does come with a bit of a hero complex, a bit of a white knight complex. And, you know, who doesn't have a good white knight complex, right? You know, Um, I think that when it comes to his fatherhood, you know, specifically the one that always comes up for him is uh, Nate, his Cable. And Nathan Summers is a very complicated character, and he was complicated kind of right out the gate. I mean, Nathan Summers was born to Madeline Pryor, who we found out ended up being a clone of Jean Grey. And so technically, uh, Nathan Summers is the, cl- is the son of a clone, and then he had his own clone. And that clone is technically... I guess he's technically also a child of Scott's? Anyway... Um, Scott and Cable have this relationship throughout comics, you know, when and whenever there's something going on that, you know, is heavily impacting Cable, Scott is always there, whether he's there to admonish, whether he's there to support, he is constantly involved in his kids lives. And for better or worse, he always tries to be there. Now, as a dad, I think there are specific comics that really speak to him as a father and really speak To this idea on his fatherhood so three comics that i think you should check out if you want to get an idea for good cyclops daddy comics are first off x-factor endgame written by louise simonson with art by walt simonson this was the culmination of the original x-factor run where the original five x-men scott gene warren bobby and beast all got back together while the mainline X-Men went and kind of did their own thing with Storm leading the team. And this was also the book that introduced us to Apocalypse, the worst ever. Also the coolest and the best ever. But in this specific instance, the worst. And this final story arc of that original X-Factor run entitled Endgame was kicked off by Apocalypse... Kidnapping baby Nathan Summers, and later on infecting him with a techno-organic virus. And what Scott does, as well as the rest of the X-Factor team, to not only save Nathan, defeat Apocalypse, and try to secure Nathan's future are incredibly thrilling from page to page from panel to panel from moment to moment it is an incredible story about one father and really you know one father's dedication to his child no matter what the personal costs to him or the people around him so great great story uh also the adventures of cyclops and phoenix written by scott labdell with art by gene ha is amazing it's one of my favorite cyclops and gene stories you all know I'm, an, I'm a Scott and Emma guy, but Scott and Jean are, it is inarguable how compatible they are. And when, after they get married at the conclusion of that original X Factor run, they go on their honeymoon expecting to have a nice relaxing vacation and instead are psychically thrust hundreds of years into the future where they encounter the clan Ascani at the conclusion of Endgame. I don't want to spoil too much but um if you know Cable then I don't know if it's that much of a spoiler uh Cable gets sent into the future basically what happens and uh Scott and Gene are psychically thrust from their bodies into the bodies of these two individuals named Red and Slim and are tasked by Klanaskani to help raise Nathan. You know, so we get to see this essentially origin story for Cable under the watchful eye of his parents, technically. Gene, technically. But the story's great. It's a fun I'm just, it's not fun. It's very dark. But it's a good story about the idea of parenthood, about what you want to leave for your child and how you want to help shape who they're going to be. It's also a great Gene and Scott story in an era that there aren't a whole lot of them. Um, it's just a fantastic story, a great read and a strengthening uh, argument to scott summers being a fantastic dad and the final one i want to talk about is the modern day x-men run that is wrapping up this week as of this recording the jonathan hickman run with art by lineal francis hugh mahmoud asrar as well as others um has been really good i've really really enjoyed it this during the Krakoa era uh was a was an especially interesting time in the X-Men book because the X-Men book essentially became the summer's family book. You know, they had their whole, you know, weird, uh, polyamorous. uh, I don't even want to resort, I guess they call it the summer's home, which sounds like a resort on the moon. And a lot of it was dealing with Scott and Jean, you know, getting to know the rest of their family, you know, staying with, Staying with Alex, dealing with his drama, you know, Cable is a young kid now, you know, dealing with Rachel, like all of this stuff is just really cool and introducing Wolverine into the whole mix, which is a whole nother can of worms. But you get to see him as well as Gene get to actually be parents of mutants in arguably the most, uh, I don't want to say popular, but like the most advantageous time to be a mutant to be a mutant and to be part of that community. Uh, There's also a fantastic issue, which is one of the tie-ins to uh, Ten of Swords, where uh, Scott and Jean decide to disobey the council because his kid asked for his help. You know, it's, oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorite Cyclops issues ever, and it is just a, it's just a fantastic read. So those three books, if you're looking to get more of Scott Summers as a dad, I think are going to scratch that itch pretty well. But next up we have on the docket is a father who I think many people are familiar with and probably expected to be on this list. It's your boy, James Gordon. James Gordon, also known as the workaholic dad, uh, is a father to two children that he knows of, uh, Barbara Gordon and James Gordon Jr. And the thing about Jim, The thing about Jim Gordon is that he is that dad who works himself to death all in the name of supporting his family. However, because of that, he ends up, you know, drawing distance between him and his family as a result, which is unfortunate because you can tell how much he loves his kids. You know, he isn't able to give them everything they want or everything they need, but he works as hard as he can to give them a life that they deserve and a lot of jim's stories even from his very early beginnings center around his identity when it comes to his family and center around his fight to not only reform the gotham police department not only to reform the culture of gotham but also to build a better life for his family now jim as a romantic partner is uh fraught with a lot of uh adversity mostly on jim's part because he can he can be a bit of a philanderer sometimes but it can't be argued that jim gordon is an incredible dad and he does everything that he can to make sure that his kids are taken care of so a couple comics that i think you should definitely check out if you want to Get more of that. The first one is Batman Year One, written by Frank Miller with art by David Mazzucchelli. Um, I, you know, it's an easy pick because it is essentially a Jim Gordon comic, uh, almost more so than a Batman comic. And I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way. But this is also a story that shows Jim as a brand new father. Uh, his wife, Barbara, uh, is pregnant with their their first child when they get into Gotham, and he ends up becoming a father over the course of the story. His whole thing about the beginning is like, I didn't want to raise a kid in Gotham. And it becomes a bit of a, a touchy subject, a sore subject for him throughout the story. His fatherhood, his, you know... His marriage goes through some issues, again, because of Jim, but the climax of the story involves his son, James Gordon Jr., being kidnapped by mob bosses, and the race to try to save his child is thrilling, and it sets up an incredible moment between Jim Gordon and Batman. And you see that even though, again, Jim might not be the best partner, he is a fantastic Dad. And that kind of rolls into the next, uh, next part of the comics that I think you should check out, which is Batman the Black Mirror, written by Scott Snyder with art by jock uh we've i did a full episode on this i love this comic to death it is one of my favorite batman comics of all time um and it's also a killer jim gordon story uh this involves the return of james gordon jr years after he had been um kidnapped and almost killed by these mob bosses in batman year one involves him re-entering the lives of not only him but also barbara gordon who has since become oracle and you get to see the flaws of him as a father you get to see his relationship with both of his kids on full display and how his lifestyle and his um single-minded attitude towards making a better future without trying without honestly accounting for the people he's trying to make that future for how it affects him and the people around him it's a it's a wonderful story and it climaxes with once again jim gordon and his son teetering over the edge and i don't want to spoil it because it's wonderful but the story also features um a lot of his interactions with dick grayson which is awesome. Uh, the two of them are one of the most undersold relationships at DC Comics. The fact that Jim Gordon has this kid who, by the end of the comic, it's pretty it's pretty well assumed that he knows that he's Batman and understands that he used to be Robin. Um, this kid has been involved in his daughter's life since they were young. And they have always kind of had this tenuous relationship. And I just, I love, I love to death the two of them together so it's a great comic one of my favorites once again and it's a comic that i think you should definitely definitely pick up and the last comic to uh sell his dad skills is batgirl of burnside volume two written by cameron stewart with art by Brendan Fletcher and Babs Tarr. This is during the Burnside era for Batgirl, and very importantly, this is also during the Super Heavy era. If you did not know, I am the biggest Super Heavy mark in the world. I am always, always, always towning how superior Super Heavy is as a story. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. But the main gist of Super Heavy is that Jim Gordon is Batman, After the events of Batman Endgame, where both Batman and the Joker were assumed to have perished, Jim Gordon becomes the first GCPD-sanctioned Batman and gets all of the uh, benefits that come with that, including his Bat-Mech, the Robo-Bunny, the Bat-Bunny-Mech, Rookie. Uh, This is a great, great story, but... Tangentially, alongside him being the Batman in the main Batman book, he was also in Detective Comics as not just Batman, but as Jim Gordon, and he made a multi-issue appearance in the Batgirl of Burnside book, where his fatherhood is on full display, because... Barbara Gordon's Batgirl, Jim Gordon is Batman, and watching the two of them bounce off each other is really fun because Jim Gordon, I'm pretty sure, is. Uh, it's w- widely known that he is now Batman. It is. That is who he is. And watching him interact with Barbara, knowing that he's Batman, while also giving hints that he kind of always knew that she was Batgirl. It's lots of fun. The art is stellar. It's Babs-Tar. What do you want? Um, It's a great, great read. And it's really, it's probably the most fun Of the three stories, the others are very dark. So if you want some lighthearted fare that shows Jim being a bat dad, this is the book for you. Next up on the list, we have Luke Cage. Luke Cage is the dad for hire. He is one of the best Marvel dads. He's one of the best comics dads. And honestly, it's kind of a shame that we never got to see this side of luke cage in the netflix series i realized that a lot of hoops would have needed to be jumped through and the 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 birth of danny cage does tend to uh at least for around the stories that she mostly featured in in the mid-2000s kind of sideline jessica totally get it I think it's, uh, it again, it's a shame, but I understand the reasoning behind it. But Luke Cage is one of the best dads. Uh, his child, as I mentioned before, is Danielle Cage, and he often has to deal with the street-level struggles of being kind of a working-class dad, who also just happens to be a superhero. Um, at the time of at least this publication, Danny Cage is still... V- quite young and hasn't really manifested so much of her powers but uh, we know in the in many pop you know possible futures she becomes Captain America which I think is incredible Uh, she's named after Danny Rand Luke Cage's best friend which is also adorable and I think that the stories that feature him as a father are some of the most compelling when it comes to the kind of stories that you can tell with him Luke Cage is a fantastic character just ordinarily just by himself but i do think that he is enhanced when it comes to his stories when it when the topic of his fatherhood does come up because a lot of times the the notion for comic books right is to have characters be like oh you know they're single bachelors forever that's why peter parker didn't make it on this list but like he he is one of the few characters that they're like, okay, you can be a dad and we're going to make that stick and you're going to deal with fatherhood stuff. And I think that's fantastic. I think that more comics should embrace that, you know, thirties to forties, Peter Parker will always be more interesting to me than, you know, teenage or like 21 year old Peter Parker and what they're, allowed to do with Luke Cage is they show his growth as a person you know starting off in the Heroes for Hire era you know with the incredible costume that is amazing and there's nothing wrong with it ever it's wonderful um all the way through him becoming, you know, a defender, him becoming more street level, him going into the Avengers, and him becoming one of the premier heroes in the Marvel Universe. That is something I will always credit Mike, Brian Michael Bendis with. You know, I've talked about my problems with him at DC, but at Marvel, he gave Luke Cage as much of a stage as he possibly could, which is great because we got to see Luke Cage in a ton of stories, uh, including... On this list, first off, uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. This is the David F. Walker and Sanford Green run, also one of my favorite Marvel runs. Uh, This brought the characters back together uh, and really is probably the best uh the best run i would say the last 10 years that features either of those characters maybe but it's so fun and i've talked about the book before but it's something that i came late to and i always kick myself for not having read it when it was coming out week to week and it's a story not just about these two guys kind of getting back into the heroes for hire business but also danny kind of recognizing how much fatherhood has changed luke cage yes there are wild and ridiculous antics yes there are all the good parts of a buddy cop story that you could ask for but there's also a big spotlight put on luke cage with his relationship to both jessica and danny and his role as a father and as a caretaker and him being this guy who has unbreakable skin but could have his heart broken at any moment is incredibly compelling and it's just a fun comic to read alongside that I mentioned Bendis, so I got to bring this up. The new Avengers run from Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch with other artists, of course, joining on as the series went on. Issues 1 through 64. I know that's a lot of comics, but it's a great run. I believe our good friend and good brother, uh, Owen Likes Comics, recently did a New Avengers uh, video that you should absolutely go check out. New Avengers is a wonderful story that was cut short way too soon. And in that story, we get to see Luke Cage take center stage. We get to see him become a celebrity. We get to see him become a superhero. And we get to see him deal with that. I believe it's in issue 34, we see the birth of of his daughter uh we get to see him become a father over the course of this and how that changes his perspective over the course of the story it's wonderful and it really does go to show just how much fatherhood changes a person and really how parenthood changes anybody um it's a great story that you should absolutely check out and i also want to give a quick shout to luke cage number 170 uh, also written by david f walker with art by guillermo sana This is the last issue of the most recent Luke Cage run, which it was fine. Um, It's unfortunate that it got cut short because it wasn't really um, as bombastic or exactly what people were expecting coming out of the Power Man and Iron Fist run. But it was, I thought, a good story that took Luke too far away from his family, which was unfortunate. But the last issue kind of makes up for it because after all of this ridiculous stuff happens, he goes back and the very last issue was just him and Danny. And that's the focus. It's him trying to tell her a story and she interjects and she, you know, he initially says, you know, I, you know, I'm the knight, and you're this princess. And she's like, no, I don't want to be a princess. I want to be a superhero like you. And like the relationship that the two of them have will always warm my heart. So I love reading this comic. It's awesome. Also, I didn't initially have it on the list, but I had to include it on here. Uh, Jessica Jones' Purple Daughter. Uh, this is, of course, more of a Jessica Jones featured uh, story written by Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia De Iles. Um But ba- basically the premise of this is that, you know, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, after having Danny, um, are going about their day-to-day when suddenly Danny turns purple. And all of the implications of that are terrifying and we get to see their marriage really put through the ringer here which I love Uh, but we also get to see how much they support and lean on each other which is a great story so absolutely check all of those out Luke Cage an incredibly underrated father of comics next up we have it's really a toss up for me between these two either one of them are interchangeable when it comes to fatherhood being dads Um, but I had to put this person in the number two spot strictly by principle uh and at the number two spot we have alfred pennyworth he is the consummate surrogate father which is unfortunately why he slipped into the number two spot but he has the biggest roster and i use roster intentionally of children of any of the picks on this list Uh, his children include but are not limited to bruce wayne Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne, and Julia Pennyworth, alongside Duke, Thomas, Reed, we are Robin, you need to read it, but Alfred Pennyworth is an interesting case because he is constantly straddling the line between dad and servant, uh, between dad and butler, and he is unfortunately most often put into the butler role, but People often undersell just how much of an impact he has as a father figure. Uh, Lots of people kind of look to when they're talking about, oh, you know, dads, they look to Batman because he's the one who brings these kids in. He's the one who's fighting with, you know, alongside them in the field. But Alfred is the one that cares for them. Alfred is the one that teaches them. Alfred is the one who, when they aren't training with Bruce, is the one who is their primary caretaker. And that's not to say, you know, Batman's a terrible person who just offloads these children to Alfred, but sometimes he does. But you can tell that the relationship that they have with Alfred is different from the relationship that they have with Bruce. They can confide in Alfred. They can show vulnerability and weakness to Alfred that I don't think that they would feel comfortable showing to Bruce. And that is an important part of fatherhood. It's an important part of parenthood about being able to let your kids be vulnerable around you and not judge them, not ridicule them, but give them the support that they need. And that's what Alfred did all the time, 100% every single day. And what I love about Alfred Pennyworth as a character and what I love about Alfred Pennyworth as a dad is that he never rested on his laurels when it came to his fatherhood. He always credited... Bruce Wayne and his kindness. He always credited the kids and their ingenuity. And when he was murdered by Bane near the end of the Tom King uh, Batman run, that absence was felt. That hit home for a lot of comic book fans, myself included. And the balls on DC to keep him dead for now... It has been has opened the door for some really interesting stories, which I am constantly amazed that they keep getting away with. James Tynion IV is doing a great job, as well as Marco Tamaki, of making a Batman without Alfred still incredibly compelling to read, and the stories that feature him as the surrogate father, not just to Bruce, but also to the various assortment of Robins, uh, is important and it also gives a very uh distinct spotlight on him as someone who you kind of just picture is going to be there always and when he's not when he's taken off the board that absent that absence is felt hardcore hardcore and so as we come to the comics that i think you should check out um First off, Batman and Robin by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. You know how much I love the Batman Reborn era. You know how much I love the era of Dick Grayson as Batman and Damian Wayne as Robin, the two of them together. Um, What I don't always talk about is Alfred's role in the story because he is someone who you know, kind of picks up where he left off with Bruce, where he is helping to facilitate Dick Grayson's war on crime as Batman. Um, They shut down the mansion. Alfred leaves the mansion and doesn't live there anymore uh, to trade it out for this penthouse structure in the heart of Gotham. And watching the relationship between Dick Grayson and Alfred grow and evolve and change is one of the best parts of this book that not many people myself included always talk about or always take time to mention uh you get this camaraderie between the two of them as performers dick coming from the circus alfred coming from theater and the page where alfred convinces dick that you know the show must go on is still one of the best comic conversations ever marvel dc indies whatever you want to call it it is the best it is one it is in my top five best comic conversations ever ever maybe i'll do an episode on that you never know let me know if you want to hear that episode but um it is undeniable the effect that alfred has and watching him deal with the situation just as much as dick is is incredibly thrilling and watching him develop a relationship with damien who is the most ungrateful robin ever including stephanie brown fight me um it's wonderful watching them interact how Damien calls him Pennyworth and watching that relationship grow and blossom into Batman Incorporated and all the terrible things that happened there. Um, it's fantastic. I absolutely, absolutely recommend it. Next up. We have Batman annual number no. three written by Tom Taylor with art by Otto Schmidt. You knew this had to be on the list. This is a Batman and Alfred centric story. And this is probably, I would say the best, uh, Uh, I would say this is the best example of Alfred and Bruce's relationship. You know, lots of people point to a lot of, you know, classic comics and big long runs. But if you want to distill everything that Bruce Wayne and Alfred are to each other into one comic, this is the comic. This is how you do it. And I am forever thankful that Tom Taylor and Otto Schmidt put this book together. And if you are going to read one comic in celebration of father's day this is the one to read check it out find it you will not be disappointed and then finally the uh other story that i want to talk about which is more of a full on comic run is the batman run in the new 52 written by scott snyder with art by greg capullo Alfred gets put through the ringer in this story, folks. Uh, Julia Pennyworth comes back, and you get to see how estranged they are, and you get to see them try to mend fences with that relationship. Uh, Alfred gets his hand chopped off by the Joker. Spoilers. And you get to see him grow and change alongside bruce you also get two of the best stories that feature alfred as a character uh it's super heavy i already talked about super heavy it's incredible but alfred plays a pivotal role in that story but the story that will always sell me on the relationship between batman and alfred is zero year a lot of people talk about their problems with zero year I still think Zero Year is one of the best Batman origins that you could ask for, and it is also directly tied into super heavy it sets the groundwork for the ridiculous shit that happens in super heavy but my biases aside the story of alfred of a young alfred dealing with this kid who he thought was dead and who went off to do whatever he wanted in the world and came back and watching the two of them butt heads watching the two of them learn to trust each other it's just it's amazing it is the again distilled of. is the perfect distillation of what the Bruce Wayne and Alfred dynamic is, and it is a perfect example of why Alfred is one of the best comic dads. But the last dad that I want to focus on here, the last dad that I want to feature here, if you are didn't already know you have to assume that he was going to show up somewhere on this list it's Clark Kent everybody it's Superman for me it's the best dad he's the best comic book dad Uh, his children include Jonathan Kent as well as Chris Kent more on that later but he is the kind of dad that you look to and you know that someday there are going to be some big shoes to fill while also knowing that he is going to do everything in his power to make sure that you never feel the need to them he is a dad who got the best role model and the best example on where to base his fatherhood jonathan kent jonathan kent who i left off of this list but i kind of roll into this one as well because the mark of a good father i think is how your child takes those lessons and reacts to them in their own fatherhood journey. And if it's any indication, Jonathan Kent did a damn good job of raising Clark Kent because Clark Kent is an incredible dad. Yes, he makes all of the same decisions that dads do that don't always pan out. Yes, he comes into conflict with his kids sometimes. Don't we all? But it is always refreshing to me to see the surrogate dad of the dc universe actually be a good dad as well and the comics that i think most perfectly um uh characterize this are as follows first off we have the last son of krypton written by jeff johns and richard donner with art by adam kubert um it's a fantastic story uh basically this pod comes rocketing out of the phantom zone containing a kryptonian child who Clark ends up naming Chris Kent, and all of the shenanigans that follow after that, including a run-in with General Zod, um, I don't want to spoil it for you, it's a great story, and it shows, it's the first kind of inkling on how a modern Superman story would go as a father, how him... Being the dad of a kid who is different and what that means for not just him but for the world, how he reacts to it, how he takes on that role as a dad. it's a great story that goes in some pretty twisty places. so you should definitely check this out for sure. Next up we have Superman, Lois and Clark, written by Dan Jurgens with art by Lee Weeks. I did an entire episode devoted to this comic. Uh, this is spinning out of the convergence. Uh, event which brought back the uh, pre-New 52 Lois and Clark who had a baby during that time that they named Jonathan and it was going alongside the final days of Superman in the New 52 where the New 52 Superman was burning up and losing power and dying and we got to see this bearded Superman stand to cover because the world... I don't think would be quite ready for two supermen. So we get to see him going on his day-to-day business. We get to see him learning how to be a dad and learning how to keep that secret from his child. We also get to see him settling into this new environment in a world that's so much like his, but also so different. And it's a great story that has one of the most, I think, fulfilling and heartwarming endings as well. And it's a great story by... Two of the best comics uh, creators to ever touch the character. And then the final book, you knew this was coming as well. Superman Rebirth, the entire run by Peter J. Tomasi with art by Patrick Gleason. It is the consummate Superman run. It is the consummate Superman fatherhood story. And it is everything that the Rebirth era represents. Hope. Change and legacy. And I think that the story of Clark learning to be a dad at the same time that Jonathan Ken is learning to be a superboy is as compelling a story as you will ever find. We also get stories from all over. The DC Universe, dealing with characters like Manchester Black, dealing with characters like Bizarro, and even though you know the series does dip in you know bombast at times, it never forgets its heart. Uh, there's a specific issue called Goodnight Moon, which is one of the best Superman stories ever. Period, and I truly believe that it is one of, if not the best Superman runs of all time, and I will do. An episode dedicated to that run at some point if you want me to do it sooner rather than later let me know Uh, But I absolutely love this run. I absolutely love everything about it, from the art to the story to the characters. It is absolutely worth your time and is the prime piece of evidence to show why Superman is the best dad in not just the DC Universe, not just the comics universe, but the multiverse at large. And it just goes to show you that to be a dad, you don't have to be Superman, but sometimes it helps. Ooh, Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at a local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain pick of the week of last week. And you know what? I am making an executive decision here. There were 16 books. It might be the most we've ever done for this segment of the podcast. So you know what? Our pick of the week is 3 books. There was a three-way tie which featured X-Men number 21, The Good Asian number 2, and of course, Far Sector number 12 two of those books x-men 21 and far second number 12 were finales for each of their respective series while good asian number two continued on from the strong opening of this brand new asian led series just so much goodness in all of these books x-men 21 is fantastic i absolutely loved it giving us the debut of our brand new x-men team while also sowing the seeds of some stuff that might be happening at the hellfire gala there's something that happens during that fireworks, uh, during that fireworks demonstration. I don't know what it is. I'm very excited about it. Cannot wait to see what it is. As for Far Sector, I have been waiting for this book to wrap up so that I can read it all together as one. And I am, I am sad to see it go. What N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell uh, have done with. The character of Joe Mulane, the city enduring as a setting, and just all of the characters and the amazing sci-fi noir storytelling that they featured in this book is going to be missed. It's it's that ultimate uh, monkey's paw deal for me, because I've been talking about for a while now how much... I really wanted Joe Moline to be part of the mainline Green Lantern books, and now she is, and I just find myself wanting more of Jemison and, Cam- and Campbell on the book. But uh, we'll just have to see. Hopefully, we might get a season two. Hopefully, we will continue to see Jemison and Campbell once again. Only time will tell. And of course, Good Asian was fantastic. It is really doing a great job setting up Edison Lark as this incredible, incredibly layered character that I'm super excited to explore. It's it's a fantastic book. You should be picking it up. But that's last week's books. So We've gotta take a look back at this week's books. And Times are a changing. We are at twelve books this week, so for the first time in I don't know how long, probably at least a couple months. There are less books this week than there were last week. We see a light at the end of the tunnel and I just I want to I just want to make sure that you know that I love buying comics. I love reading comics. I love collecting comics. My wallet does not do that. It is staring at me from the side of the room burning a hole in the side of my head and I know that my wallet is thankful that I will not be spending quite as much money as I have been recently so let's go ahead and dive into these books first off we have Radiant Black number five written by Kyle Higgins with art by Marcelo Costa and I recently caught up on Radiant Black it kind of fell back in the uh in the reading pile for me with the other with the other three issues after issue one but I got all caught up read issue four I am chomping at the bit to read issue five cannot wait to pick this up let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here aftermath the first arc of radiant black ends here radiant red is still out there he needs to be stopped before anyone else gets hurt But after the events of last issue, left Lockport and the world reeling, is Radiant Black up to the task? And will he be in this fight alone? So no spoilers, because issue four was a bombshell of an issue. Uh, You should be reading this book. This is an awesome, awesome story that Higgins and Cost are putting together. Next up, we have our first Hellfire Golan tie-in of the week, that being x number two, written by Teeny Howard with art by Alberto Foch, Fochie, Fochay, I'm sorry, I just, I'm trying, I'm sorry, but uh, very excited, the Hellfire Gala tie-ins have been fantastic so far, I'm really, I love the different POVs we're getting with each book, which is of course to be expected because they're all their own books, but Just seeing the gala through the different eyes of everybody has been awesome, and I'm excited to see it through the eyes of uh, one Monet and one Mr. Worthington. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A shark in the water. After x Corp's shocking debut, they've got fences to mend, hands to shake, and most importantly, a board to staff. With Dr. Jamie Madrox's top-class dupes staffing the Hellfire Gala, CXO's Monet and Angel must stalk the dance floor and hope they don't get preyed on themselves. So, fascinating story, giving the X-Men probably the most anti-corporation book in all of Marvel Comics, uh, giving them their own corporate book. I just, I love it. I think it's really, really cool. So definitely pick this up, especially if you're following along with the Hellfire Gala stuff. Next up, we have The Flash, number 771. This is written by Jeremy Adams with art by Brian Hitch and Scott Collins, as well as Kevin McGuire and Fernando Pazarin. This, uh, oh man, I I, okay, I'm going to preface this. I've been really enjoying the book. I love the time-hopping stuff. The last issue with Jay Garrick was my personal favorite so far. This book has a lot of implications when it comes to the cover because it has a flash kneeling before a sign that says, Welcome to Sanctuary, referencing Heroes in Crisis. I am very scared. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Blink of an Eye, Chapter 4. The Legion of Doom, Teen titans Academy, Max Mercury's Wild West Origins, and more. Wally West sleeps from speedster to speedster throughout time, draws to a close as he begins to realize why he's been sent on this quest by the Speed Force and what might be behind it. But with one last stop before he's allowed to go home, will his journey break Wally forever or return him to glory? Who? Yeah, I am... I'm super stoked to see what this all comes around to. I have a feeling that you know they're going to wrap this up with the whole talk about you know all oh, the Speed Force was broken during Heroes and Crisis. We don't know, you know, that's probably the reason. I am, I know that Heroes and Crisis is incredibly polarizing. Um, I have my own thoughts about it. I did an entire episode of this podcast on it. If you want to go back in the archives and check it out, um, it's it is something that is uh gonna be remembered for a very long time. So I'm excited to see how that influences this book, how this influences Wally West going forward, and where this character goes next. Next up we have the first Heroes Reborn tie in, or really the only Heroes Reborn tie in of the week, which is Heroes Reborn, Weapon X and Final Flight number one. This is written by Ed Bresson with art by Roland Boshi. Boshi I'm sorry, but uh, this is the final tie in for Heroes Reborn uh, before the heroes return next week. So very excited. This has been one corner of the Marvel Universe that I've been waiting for them to touch on. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Freedom or death. They're the best there is at what they do. In a world without the Avengers, the Squadron Supreme protects and defends the interests of America. But where does that leave a country like Canada? The Great White North is now a wasteland. Their forests are scorched, their provinces annexed, their people barely surviving. Who will stand up and protect them from the supremacy of the Squadron? Weapon X and Final Flight, that's who. So, this is awesome. I love the idea of this, um... I've always wanted to see Wolverine go back to Alpha Flight. So having him go back just for this this little bit sounds fun. I like also how in this alternate universe where we essentially have the Marvel version of the DC Universe. Every aspect of the mutants are like freedom fighters against the oppression of the Squadron Supreme. I just I think that's interesting. But yeah looking forward to this one for sure. Next up we have Superman Red and Blue number 4. This is written by Mark Waid, Joshua Williamson, Rich Doak, Michael Conrad, and Francis Manipal with art also by Francis Manipal as well as Chris Sprouse, Joe Canonez, Cully Hamner, audrey mock and covers by many many people i i have been loving this book you know that a superman book is i'm an easy mark for that but the anthology uh the anthology format for this serves him as a character really well. Uh, it's the same kind of thing that I loved about the Superman animated series, where it's just a lot of people's perspectives on Superman, which is great. Uh, this also is boasting a pretty uh, incredible Bizarro story. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. This month, our cover star Bizarro leaves the Red and Blue family by not being in a story all about his very own birthday. Which, of course, means we definitely have a story in here about Bizarro's birthday, as well as four more about the Man of Steel himself, including one about a social media star who inspires a very dangerous trend in Metropolis that nearly runs Superman ragged. Also, learn the story of how Jimmy Olsen was able to take what became his favorite picture of Superman. These fantastic tales feature some of the best writers and artists in the business, only using Superman's special colors to make them come alive alive so again i'm an easy mark for this stuff i love superman bizarro stories are always fun very very excited to pick this up next up we have our next hellfire gala tie in Blech. that being new mutants number 19 written by vita ayala with art by alex Linz. and uh this is just it's the same thing it's the same thing as you know the uh the X-Core from earlier, I'm not following New Mutants from week to week, but I love this creative team and I'm excited to get this corner of them as they view the Hellfire Gala. Should be a good time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. And I'll cry if I want to. The Hellfire Gala is here and the New Mutants have the chance to take a break from training the youth of Krakoa, an opportunity to get dressed up and get down. But not everyone is on their best behavior, and someone has vanished without a trace." Ah, you know how much I love mysteries, you know how much I love mutants, you know how much I love the Hellfire Gala. Very excited to pick this up. Next up, we have Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number one, written by Tom King with art by Bilquis Evely, as well as Matt Lopez. Uh, this is gonna be a good time. Tom King has been touting this as his uh all-star supergirl, and that makes me very excited. Anytime that he touches the character of Superman, I am a big fan of. Uh, just go back and check out our Superman Up in the Sky. Episode if you want to learn more about that. Um I am super excited to see this. And the Evelie art is gorgeous. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Chapter 1. Men, Women, and Dogs. Car has seen some epic adventures over the years, but finds her life without meaning or purpose. Here she is, a young woman who saw her planet destroyed and was sent to Earth to protect a baby cousin who ended up not needing her. What was it all for? Wherever she goes, people only see her through the lens of Superman's fame. Just when Supergirl thinks she's had enough, everything changes. An alien girl seeks her out for a vicious mission. Her world has been destroyed and the bad guys responsible are still out there. She wants revenge, and if Supergirl doesn't help her, she'll do it herself, whatever the cost. Now a Kryptonian, a dog, and an angry, heartbroken child head out into space on a journey that will shake them to their very core. So this is issue one of eight, and it sounds very Western. Um, There is a reason I use specific synopsis voices for specific synopses. Uh, This is a very Western-esque concept, but with Supergirl which makes me really excited. Um, I just, ah, very excited to pick this up. Next up, we have The Mighty Valkyries, number three. This is written by Jason Aaron and Tarun Grunbeck with art by Mattia De Ulis, And I, I've i been really digging this. I love Jane Foster, especially this Valkyrie role. Uh, Loki is always a fun character. And this new Valkyrie that we have has been fan. Fantastic so far. Cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Children of the Afterlife. While Craven the Hunter stalks Jane Foster on Midgard and the newest Valkyrie fights for her soul on Perdita, Carnilla, the Queen of Hell, works a miracle in the land of the dead. But Carnilla isn't Hell's only ruler. And now she's upset the cosmic balance. There will be a price to pay. And Carnilla intends to ensure the Valkyries pay it. Ominous. Ominous, ominous, ominous. I'm very excited about this. I love this so far. It's a beautiful book as well. Cannot wait to pick this up. Next book we have is a brand new number one that I'm very excited about. That being Static Season 1, number one. Static is back. Milestone Returns. I am super excited about this. Uh, this is written by Vita Ayala with art by Chriss Cross. And I just... Ah, man, it's good to have this guy back. It is good to have this boy back. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Episode 1, Trial by Fire. At long last, the most famous face of the Milestone universe is making his shocking return. Bullied nerd Virgil Hawkins wasn't the kind of kid you'd normally find on the streets at a protest. But like everyone else in the city of Dakota, he was fed up. Unfortunately, the first time he stood up to raise his voice the world turned upside down the experimental tear gas released that day left some of his classmates maimed or dead but it left virgil and others with stunning new abilities virgil has power inside him now real power the ability to channel and manipulate electromagnetic fields but there's anger burning inside him too What is he supposed to do about all this? And first and foremost, what is he supposed to do about his bullies now that they've got superpowers too? A dynamic creative team of new comics voices and milestone media veterans joins forces to open up a new chapter in the story of the most iconic black teen superhero in comics history. I love this. I am so excited. I just... ah. Very excited about Milestone coming back. And of course, Static is leading the charge. Cannot wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Heroes Reborn number seven, written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis and Aaron Cuter. This is the final Heroes Reborn book before the, as I said before, the Heroes Return next week. Uh, I'm really excited to see how this shapes out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The world of no return, slash the president's best friend. Together, they ended the Kree-Skrull War, defeated Doctor Doom in his secret war, and even endured their own civil war between Hyperion and Nighthawk. But now, the Squadron Supreme of America faces their greatest challenge yet. A mysterious new group of troublemakers called the Avengers. So that sounds awesome. I think it is incredibly telling that the word war is used so much in this synopsis, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I don't think it's, you know, uh, I think it's intentional, for sure, because it's the Squadron Supreme. It's America, and what's more American than war? Eee, I said it. It just is what it is. But I am... I've been really enjoying Heroes Are Born. I think this was a successful event showing, you know, what a world would be like without the Avengers, and now that they are coming back, now that the heroes are returning next week, this is going to be a good time for sure. And my two big books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are tied for me. The first one being Nightwing, number 81, written by Tom Taylor with by Bruno Redondo, What have I said about Nightwing that, what can I say about Nightwing that hasn't already been said? It's an incredible book. You should be reading this, especially if you're a fan of great comics. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Leaping into the Light, part four. Dick Grayson trades out his escrima sticks for a magnifying glass and a sleuth hat to investigate Bloodhaven's new mayor, Melinda Zuko, and find out how the daughter of the man who murdered Dick's parents came to power in Nightwing City. What his investigative adventure is cut short when he comes face to face with the most horrendous villain in the history of Bloodhaven, Heartless. I am super excited about this. Uh, Tom Taylor has been teasing that there is a big twist, a big reveal in this book, and I am keeping myself spoiler free. Very excited to pick this up. Nightwing's just, it's one of the best DC books that, is on the shelves right now you should be picking this up and tied for big book of the week the book the other book i think you should absolutely be picking up is planet size x-men number one this is written by jerry duggan and jonathan hickman with art by pepe Larraz. this is going to be the turning point i can feel it we're about halfway through the events of the hellfire gala And I think this is where they make their big announcement or whatever happens during the fireworks display. I am excited to see where they go with this. I'm excited to check out what the big reveal is. It's going to be a good time. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. They came to slay. The Hellfire Gala rages on, but bigger things are afoot a world away. Make no mistake, as Jerry Dugan and superstar artist Pepe Larraz team up, it is absolutely the most important issue of the month. Oh, I love this. I love the idea of this. I'm very excited to see where they go with this. Cannot wait to pick this up. Do it, do it, do it. But that is going to wrap up this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have Radiant Black number 5, X Core number 2, The Flash number 771, Heroes Reborn, Weapon X, and Final Flight number 1, Superman Red and Blue number 4, New Mutants 19, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow number 1, The Mighty Valkyries number 3, Static Season 1 number 1, Heroes Reborn number 7, Nightwing 81, and Planet Size X Men number 1. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Explain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, they really help me out, really helps the podcast out with all the podcast algorithm nonsense, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating, and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here on the podcast. You can join the likes of our mighty nine, that being Seafire ND, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, Brian, Mouthdork, and Dallas Meeks. I want to say a big thank you to all these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. And if you want to be part of our Geek Explain mailbag, if you have a question for me, uh, you want to get a quick pitch, maybe you want my latest thoughts on something going on, or maybe you want some recommendations, that we haven't covered on the podcast yet. Feel free to, to send emails to me. Send them to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header. Like our good brother Brian Reel, who wrote in this week. Thank you very much, Brian. Always good to hear from you. Uh, he writes, Hi, Eric. Hello. I hope all is well. Last week, you talked a little about some thoughts on voice acting. I wanted to ask you about your experiences with it. In your voice acting, do you have any big inspirations or icons you look to as someone to maybe model yourself after as you get settled down on your own path? Are there voice actors that you kind of always keep with you because you just really like how they do something? Have you found yourself reflecting on adapted behaviors, mantras, or advice from any particular voice actor that has become something you do or believe in regularly about the craft? I hope this makes some semblance of sense and you get what I mean by my questions. As always, take care and great work with the show. I've been loving the book club episodes as well. It's a lot of fun being in the know of what happens in Invincible and just waiting for you to be surprised by different things. It's almost like I can imagine the faces of malcolm and jacob are making when you say certain things about what may happen lol be well and thanks for reading my question best brian brian thank you as always for writing in and yes The book club episodes are super fun. If you haven't been listening to them, uh, we drop them every single Friday. Invincible Fridays are living strong. Uh, Me alongside my co-hosts, Malcolm and Jacob, are basically going through volume by volume the entire series of Invincible. I've been having a ton of fun with it, and I think you will as well. Uh, But into Brian's question. um, As he said, yes, I am a voice actor out here in Los Angeles, and I am always taking inspiration from other voice actors, people that I've followed for a very long time. I mean, there are the classics that you know of, you know, Kevin Conroy's, your Mark Hamill's, that really are both incredibly iconic and also super versatile. Like, Mark Hamill is one of the most versatile actors, both on camera and in voiceover, that has ever lived, period. Uh, Big, big fan of his. I've also... There is an actor who I have been a fan of since I was very young, and who I've followed consistently throughout his career, and who has inspired me a lot, and that's uh, Yuri Lowenthal. If you are not perhaps familiar with the name, uh, if you're an anime fan, he voiced Sasuke in the Naruto cartoon, he was the voice of Ben 10 for a little while, and probably most notably recently, he's been the voice of Peter Parker in the... PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and Miles Morales Spider-Man games. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his. I have been for a very long time. I love his approach to acting, um, and he's just he he just seems like a super cool dude. Uh, he really does. Um, it's being able to kind of follow in the stuff that he does you're always trying to navigate your own way when it comes to voice acting which i have learned um it's tough to kind of get yourself started but once you kind of have a direction it's really all up to you and what you do with it so in that way uh he, along with his wife, Tara Platt, who is also a phenomenal voice actress, uh, they wrote a book called Voice Over Voice Acting. So if you are looking to uh, get into it or you're interested in it, I think it's a great resource. It's awesome. I learned a lot from reading that book. Um, there are actors that I have uh, worked with in classes that are amazing. Uh, D. Bradley Baker being one of them who is just otherworldly in his talent. He's ridiculous. Um, it's why he books all the time because he is excellent at what he does and i am constantly in awe i took a workshop with him that was just super eye-opening um and then for other voice actors uh travis willingham always a big been a big fan of his i first got acquainted with his voice in uh, full metal alchemist he played uh, roy mustang and he has been in almost everything uh you also have you know your classics your your nolan norths your troy bakers that are really like just ruling the world when it comes to voice acting right now but honestly it's it's about you know finding the stuff that works for other people and then kind of molding it and shaping it into what works for you uh when it comes to voice acting i'm constantly learning by the seat of my pants and while that can be intimidating it's also kind of thrilling where i get to throw myself into situations uh that i am not prepared for or that i don't have it I don't want to say not prepared for I necessarily don't have experience with but I have done the research I've done the work to be prepared for it and uh, I mean this you know I booked something this past week that I have very little experience with but I'm very excited to get into and I am just it's I love it I really I honestly I love everything about it the whole process so um When it comes to, like, mantras, adapted behaviors, um, the mantra that I always kind of take with me is uh, the best role you can play is yourself. There's a lot of, you know, when it comes to voice acting, there's a lot of, oh, you know, you got to do a funny voice or you have to, you know, make things, you know, lively or animated. But a lot of times I get booked off of my voice just like this. I get booked off of what I'm doing and you're greatest asset is that you are unapologetically who you are and when you are able to translate that into um into auditions and into uh booked jobs that is what is going to keep them bringing you back and that is what is going to help you book so uh and I am by no means any kind of authority on this by the way um I've been voice acting uh for about 4 years now and um I've really only started actually like booking jobs for the last couple of years. So uh, I'm still very new on the scene. I'm very, um, very green when it comes to this kind of stuff, but I'm loving it. I'm having a great time and this is hopefully what I can make my career. Cause if you couldn't tell from this podcast, I like talking. So <laughs> um, I hope that answered your question, Brian. Thank you as always for writing in. And again, if you want to write it, if you have a question for me about, um, really anything i mean obviously my specialty is comic books geek culture that kind of thing but if you have a question for me about me about my journey about voice acting feel free to send those in too uh again send them to geeksplained at gmail.com put mailbag as the subject header and i will read them here finally if you want to um Keep up to date with the podcast, keep up to date with me, Uh, vote in polls that decide future episodes, or just kind of shoot the shit on the latest geeky news and whatnot. Uh, You can follow us at Pod. that's at P O D on Instagram and Twitter. That is going to be the place you want to go. I have been talking a lot on Twitter, so uh, it's always a good time, especially with some of the ridiculous stuff that's been going on. I mean, Batman and Catwoman, I'm just going to leave that there. So if you want my thoughts on stuff like that, like I said, follow us on the social medias at Pod. But that is going to wrap up this week's episode. I want to say a big giant shout out to all of the fathers who listen to this podcast. Uh, happy Father's Day. Happy early Father's Day. I hope this weekend is restful and or whatever you want it to be. A special shout out to my father, Anjo Azana. Um... I don't think my comic book fandom would have started or at least not started nearly as early on in my life as it did if not for my dad and his comic book collection and how open he was to sharing that very nice comic book collection with a small child. So, um thanks dad, love you, happy father's day and uh yeah, so again, happy Father's Day to everybody. I hope you enjoyed this special Father's Day edition of the podcast. Next week, we are going, um, we're going into overdrive because I've been waiting to talk about this for a very long time, and I know that it's far outside of the wheelhouse of what this podcast is, but I've been wanting to talk about it, and so next week, I am going to be ranking every fast and furious movie i know it's weird i get it it's probably i mean it is what it is but i am going to rank i love this franchise how stupid it is i can't wait to see fast nine and it is releasing next week so tune in for my official end all be all conclusive rankings of the fast franchise next week same geek time same geek channel but for now for Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.